Um, yeah, well, uh, page six of the bulletin, seven if you're reading Spanish. Matthew 27, 32 to 54. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up all his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let's come down, uh, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabbat which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's called Elijah, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding, those who were with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. morning. I'm Yancey, one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Duke, um, who just prayed wonderfully unto the Lord. Uh, just my heart was just moved uh, through that prayer. And I just wanted to have a, say a big amen and just leave because I thought, well, that's, that's the sermon there. You know, <laughs> the Lord has spoken clearly. And many things that we see here uh, in, in the passage were, were alluded to. Um, thanks be to God for that. Because we come to a passage today that is at the heart of what we believe in. The events, the portrayal of what's happening here in this passage is what we proclaim if you name the name of Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. We cannot get away from this narrative because it's at the center of the gospel itself. 
And it's been the type of narrative, narrative that's been pointed to since the beginning of the world because God has been with us since that time, pursuing us, chasing after us, even after the great treason of Adam, our first father. But we do come to this passage humbly um, because there is so, everything just comes to this point here in, in history, pointing towards it and pointing back to it. So we have here, you know, this proclamation of our great salvation of Jesus, Jesus and how he died on the cross. Let's pray and ask God for help. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us your life. For you, Jesus, have been the one that we have longed for. And we ask that in this passage here, in this short time we have to look at it, that you will come, that you will move upon our hearts, that you will renew our strength, that you will renew our worship. So we pray this in your name. Amen. And coming to this passage, I think of the time when I first realized that I was a sinner. Of course, you know, you think about your life and think about what you do, and you see that you're not perfect. A few people would say that they're, they're perfect. But if you know better, you would say, yeah, something is wrong. Something is wrong in the world. There's something broken and needs to be fixed. If you're like me, there's always been that groaning inside because of just my own heart desire. The loneliness sets in. <clears throat> the peace is waning. And then there's just trouble in the world. So it had me thinking about, yeah, when did I first realize I was a sinner? Dirty, rotten, low-down sinner. And it was a time in my life where I was seeking a life. I grew up in a household where the brokenness was clear, and I, I just grew tired of it. And after seeing a friend's life and seeing how he partook of Jesus and proclaimed Jesus, I thought, I need a Savior like that. I need someone to exchange my life with because I didn't like my life. I didn't have direction. I didn't know who I was. And so after reading through the pages of Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, but working my way to the New Testament and centering around this man called Jesus, I realized he is the one that I need. He is the one that I yearn for, and I'm more messed up than I thought. I'm a sinner in the hands of God, and I need someone to rescue me, to come and deliver me. And so, of course, whenever we come to this idea of who is Jesus and trying to understand it, the, the contours of Matthew as we've been doing for the past month, you know, we, we see that, that Jesus has given us some commands, some commands that we fall short of, we desire to keep, but we fall short of. And so even there, I need someone to deliver me and to help me, to strengthen me. But ultimately, I think... Jesus, in this passage, or God is calling us continually to believe. To believe upon the things that he has said to us. To believe 
that he is with us, to believe that he will rescue us. He is calling us to believe because we falter, don't we? We fail to come through and really hold fast to God at times. We do fail to, to really heed his voice and to, and, to, and to listen to him. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in other brothers and sisters' lives, those who come into the faith, you know, this uh, salvation of Jesus being something brand new. And then they, too, began to see, oh, I, I thought I was doing wrong, but now that I've, I've seen the light, the light has been shown in my heart, I've, I see that I'm worse off than I, than I thought. This, that's not an opportunity to shrink back from believing. That's an opportunity to continue to, to believe in God, the Son of God, Jesus, who we see before us. And so in, in verse 54, we see at the end of this passage that the Satyrians, they proclaim after seeing all the things that were happening, the earthquake and the tombs open and the people walking around, they proclaim that this truly was the Son of God. There was something that God had done during that time when they were at the foot of the cross, perhaps to open their eyes, but at least to show them that this wasn't just an ordinary day. This wasn't an ordinary crucifixion. This was the Son of God being crucified on the cross. And God has given us Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew, he, he, he tells us this in the beginning of, of the gospel. After going through the genealogy of Jesus, showing us Jesus' lineage from Abraham, that he is the promised offspring from David, that he is the king to come, great David's greatest son. And he tells us that this is the one that the scripture spoke about, to, be, to come from a virgin, to be Jesus, the one who takes away our sin, the savior of the world. But we see in this passage that Jesus endures the cross. He endures the cross, that he is really human. God made man come before us. That he really falters here. We see in verse 32 here that as he, as he went out, you know, they find this man along the way. Joseph, um, uh, Siren, um, si Simon, who's from Cyrene, I'm thinking about Joseph Arimathea, who came and got the body from off the cross. But uh, Simon, they compel him to carry the cross of Jesus. And so here is Jesus on the scene after carrying this, this beam, this cross beam. After carrying it, he, of course he's tired. Here's Jesus before us, all bloody and torn from the scourging that he had endured. And, and here's Jesus fulfilling what he said would happen, that he would be handed over to the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, that he would be condemned to death, that he would be uh, uh, flogged by the, the Roman soldiers. And it happened, 40 lashes minus one. So here he is before us, body all torn to pieces, blood on his face from the crown of thorns. Here is Jesus, tired and thirsty from the, from the weariness of his body, 
being broke, being torn apart. Here's Jesus, his flesh is open before us, walking, carrying his cross. And here's Jesus perhaps faltering at the cross to carry it. And so they enlist someone to carry it as they are on their way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And even though he was offered a drink here, this drink was mixed with something that was bitter. Something that wasn't palatable when he tasted. Something that he did not drink. He's not drinking that bitter drink, but he is drinking from the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath that is necessary to be drank by one who will save us. Because, see, God is just. We know that. He is a just God. He is someone that dwells in the holy of holies where there is no sin. He recognizes that we have transgressed his law and broken his commandment. And so what should a just God do if he wants to make atonement, if he wants to satisfy his wrath? There has to be one to drink it all, to take it up. Psalm 75, 8 tells us, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to it dregs. Even if all the wicked for all time would attempt to drink this cup, it still wouldn't satisfy the wrath of God. So we needed one to taste death. We needed one to endure this, this drink. We needed Jesus, our Savior, to drink it down to his dregs. And here's Jesus being crucified. You know, Matthew doesn't spend a lot of time talking about crucifixion, the pain that it, would, that it entailed, the embarrassment of, your, of his clothes being torn off of him and rationed out. He doesn't take time to, to tell us about the pain of his, of his hand that were nailed to the cross or his feet that were nailed to the cross. He doesn't take time to explain the, the horror of the crucifixion, that it was meant to be public. It was meant to be along the way that where bystanders walked, where they can look and see that this will come upon you if you would reject Caesar, if you would turn your face against the rulers in the land. Although the Roman citizens, they, they probably didn't end up on the cross as much as someone who would defy uh, the Roman authorities or as, as much as those who were in the underclass. But it was a terrifying thing to see. And everyone in the land knew about the crucifixion. They knew about the cross. They knew what happened. So Matthew doesn't even go into detail. It was that popular in the land. So here's Jesus hanging there, no clothes on, enduring the shame of this cross. People can look and see his nakedness. 
they can look and see and be terrified that this is the Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the one who healed people of all kinds of diseases. And this is Jesus who healed the lame to see them walk, to open the eyes of the blind. This is a Jesus who calmed the storm. What must it have been like for his followers to think upon him now? Even after Jesus gave them the prophecy from his own lips, this is what's going to happen to me. It still would have been confusing. It may be confusing even now as we were talking about that this one who is powerful, this one who clearly demands authority, that he would be enduring this type of open and public shame. Of course, it, some people may say, yeah, he, he's there because he deserves to be there. He must have done something wrong. But we know that scripture um, they, scripture informs us that Jesus was betrayed by Judas as to fulfill scripture. That even Jesus was duped by those high priests and Pharisees who told lies in order to get him to the cross. That was their ambition, to see Jesus crucified. He was a threat to them. For Jesus did not come under them. It wasn't a matter of if Jesus respected them. It was a matter of them holding on to whatever power, a semblance of power that they thought they had. They feared him. But they wanted him dead. The very son of God. The chosen Messiah. And they didn't care. Because we see here the taunting bystanders. Verse 37 through 44, they taunt him, even the charge over his head. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Is that true or is that false? It is true. He is the king of the Jews. But they put it there to taunt him, to ridicule and mock him still, so that people will know the charge above his head. They put it in three languages, Greek Hebrew and Aramaic. And there is Jesus being taunted by this, but yet it, it remains true that he is king of the Jews. And then we see again another taunting. People, you know, people passing by, deriding him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Jesus is the son of God. And so he remains on the cross. They're shaking their heads because they don't know, because they don't believe. Their eyes haven't been opened to the facts. And indeed, Jesus said, to them, if they would destroy the temple, that he would raise it up. Talking about his own body. So there's a misunderstanding there by the people who were standing around. And we would have, been, we would have misunderstood it as well. Because it's, it's just staggering 
here's someone who didn't do anything to anyone except help and heal. And yet, how did he end up on the cross enduring these taunts? And then the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came again mocking him. They didn't have enough of mocking Jesus while he was on the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. If they didn't believe when he performed the miracles, if they didn't believe when he raised Lazarus from the dead, if they didn't believe when he performed all those miracles and healings, if they didn't believe then, of course they wouldn't believe if he came down from the cross now. Another taunt. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he des- desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Truly, he is a son of God. And Jesus doesn't come down from the cross because he's there on the Father's will, carrying out the Father's bidding. Yes, we saw Jesus in Gethsemane crying out to his Father, the only one that he could cry out to. If some way let this cup pass from me. Even to Jesus, it was a daunting task to take up his cross and to be there, enduring the taunts and the mocking of these people, his people that he is dying for. If he would have come down, who could be saved? If Jesus didn't carry out the Father's will of remaining on the cross, where would there be salvation? Who could we place our trust in? Who would be cleansed of their sins? So the great irony in all of these things that their eyes are, are closed. And it was so fitting for Jesus to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because they don't know the man of God that's before them, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And yet now he's emptying himself. He is the servant, the God-man, who's there on our behalf. He's our substitution there. So that he would suffer the punishment, the cruelty of the cross, the wrath of God even, that we don't have to suffer for those who name the name of Christ. The taunting, the taste of death was staggering. I woke up one morning. I was in junior high, and I... It was a normal morning. Just woke up, getting ready for school, and I found myself all dressed and in front of my bathroom mirror, horrified. I looked at the reflection of my face. My face was covered in acne. I looked like a monster. There was no scream, just silence, because I was shocked. Like, what is this? I don't think sci-fi was invented then, but it looked like something from sci-fi, a sci-fi movie. But um, there I was. And then I began to squeeze one of those pimples in my face. 
this as hard as I could. And it's like, I can't fix this. I can't fix this. And so I told my mom, I said, look, look at me. Something needs to be done about this. And my mom had just come home from work because she worked the night shift. It just seemed like time moved so slowly. And I said, I can't go to school today. Of course I wasn't going to school. Horrified by the picture of it. And then I don't know how they got there. Some relatives of mine, two of them, they were there in the kitchen. And they got a good laugh out of it. I was horrified. I'm like, why would they do this to me? Don't they see my whole world is crumbling before me? And I desperately wanted someone to come and to take up for me or to speak on my behalf against them. So my mom and I went to the doctor. And I remember the doctor being so gentle with my face, so kind. You know, that wasn't a smirk on his face. There wasn't any taunting. It was just interesting, to say the least. But I remember his gentle touch to my face. And, of course, he gave me a prescription, and I went home. And it's as if my tormentors had never moved. And it's like walking through a gauntlet and through the back door. And they began to poke fun again. Okay, this is clearly not funny. And I was angry by then. And so I lashed out at them. But really, in looking back at that, I really wanted someone to stand up for me. I wanted my mom to say something to them. I wanted her to stand in the gap for me to cover my shame, to speak a kind and comforting word to me that I could be under and, and, and just really be encouraged by. That didn't come. So I felt like I was alone and had to do, endure that just by myself. Maybe some of you have had horrific experiences like that in junior high, or maybe you have, you've had some other horrific experiences where you just felt utterly alone, like there is no one there with you. There's nothing but darkness. No one understands no one can see where you are. No one really cares. These are the thoughts that may come to your head. Who will cover me? Who will come and rescue me? And oftentimes, if you're like me, I seek to rescue myself, right? I seek to make a way myself and try to figure it out. Either work harder, try harder, think better, outsmart someone else. And we see our king of kings, he's just there, enduring the cross. He doesn't move. He doesn't get himself down from the cross. He just stays there. Jesus dies on the cross for us. And we see this in verses 45 through 50 where the timing of this, you know, it's 12 noon and there's darkness over the land. Darkness, you know, throughout scripture would suggest judgment. There was darkness for three hours. And we see Jesus crying out from the cross, crying out to the only one that he can cry out to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But see, we see Jesus in Gethsemane crying out to his father. But now it's changed. It's his God and not his loving father. 
Of course, the father had to turn his face away from his son. As a matter of fact, it is the father's will to crush Jesus here. Jesus is forsaken by him. For how could God look upon the sin of the world for all time? The holy God. But this is his son, someone may say. But when Jesus takes up our sin and our brokenness on the cross, he becomes sin for us. The sin that is nailed there to that cross, the sin that remains on that cross, while the bystanders try to figure out what's going on. Let's see if Elijah will save him. Someone needs to save him, but there's no one to save Jesus. The father turns his face away. His followers are all scattered. There's no one to save Jesus from the cross. There's no one to come to rescue him. The four soldiers that are there make sure of it. They're guarding the cross so that no one will come and try to get him down. This tells you about the followers that Jesus has. This tells you also about the intent of evil coming from the leaders in the land. But they want Jesus to stay there. They want him to suffer and die. No one saves Jesus. He dies the death that we should have died. And no one saves Jesus because there's only one who could save Jesus. And that's Jesus himself. Jesus does not come down, but he stays there crying out with a loud voice. One more time. I don't know how he did it. Because to be on the cross and to even whisper, you have to hold yourself up to endure even more pain. So Jesus is not only enduring that physical pain, but he's enduring the anguish of his soul as well. The sorrow. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in another gospel, it says, Jesus crying out, and he says, it is finished. All that the Father gave him, gave him to do, he did while he was here. It's finished. All that the prophecies he came to fulfill while he was on earth, he did it. It is finished. And with that cry of dereliction, he gave up his spirit into his Father's hand. He yielded up the spirit. Only Jesus could save Jesus but he doesn't save himself so that he can save us. He doesn't enact against the Father's will, but he stays there and is crushed by the Father on the cross. For us, Jesus is the propitiation. So, sort of big word right there. But Jesus suffered the wrath of God for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer it. Being the just, the one who is just and the justifier, Jesus endures the cross and yielded up his spirit to God. The right sacrifice, ending all the sacrifices that will come. And that came before him. It's only through Jesus. So Jesus saves us. And as if this, you know, I spoke about it earlier. We see here some strange things happening, things that can't be explained. You know, was it, was it just a normal earthquake? 
uh, even rocks were split, tombs were open. People started walking around after the resurrection, but the tombs were open there in Jerusalem. People were filled with awe, and the soldiers were, and they exclaimed, truly, this is the Son of God. They're not the first to exclaim this, that Jesus was or is the Son of God. It was God himself that gave testimony to Jesus being his son that he's well pleased. It was God who gave that testimony first. But somehow what's going on just opened their eyes where they can, they can see that this is not ordinary. This is extraordinary. But what's even more extraordinary, family of God, people of God, is that we really, we really deserve to die the penalty for sin. We deserve to bear under God's wrath against sin. We really were once separated from God by our sin. It is a serious issue that we are in bondage, really, to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. This is what Jesus came to deal with. He came to deal with our sin on the cross. He came to deal with death. He came to deal with our arch enemy, Satan. So he is the sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for the death we deserve because of our sin. He's the sacrifice for us. Jesus removes us from the wrath of God. Jesus brings reconciliation through his death on the cross. Not just among racial lines, but among all people so that we can be called children of God together, standing on him. And Jesus bringing the redemption that we need. We're sinners. We know it. But we need someone to enter in for us. We need someone to cover our shame. We need someone strong enough to deliver us from the bondage of decay. And Jesus does it. And there's only one fitting thing to do after such a great salvation. One way to respond, and that is to believe. To believe that this is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Believe that we can have forgiveness for our sin in Christ. Believe that we can have the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Believe that we are redeemed for those who name the name of Christ and also believe that we can be glorified with him because Christ wasn't, he just didn't stay in the grave. He was raised on the third day. He was raised to life. Showing forth Jesus being the first of many brothers and sisters to be raised from the dead and that we will be glorified with him. Do you want to believe in this great salvation, that he is the one who can cover your sin and bring comfort to your wandering hearts? This is what we need today, isn't it, in our nation? With all the things that are in flux, all the tension that we felt throughout the year, we need this Jesus to come in and to rescue us from thoughts of anger so that we can be slow to anger quick to listen to one another, quick to love. 
We need Jesus to teach us the way of humility, to walk, to walk before the Father, to cast off all else and to proclaim him as our king, as our ruler, as the one that we need to follow. We need Jesus to teach us how to pray for one another and for those who would oppose us. We need Jesus to teach us how to love one another and love our enemies as well. We need Jesus. We need to believe in him. He is the son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for how you enter in and you do not remain far off, but you've given your spirit to those who believe in you. And this belief, Father, we know is something that's a gift that you give through your grace. We thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.